Good morning, everyone. Uh, this is the Word of God from Luke 1, 5 through 17. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statues of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call him John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord of God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the trust to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. You can be seated. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for today. Thank you for the chance to be in worship together. God, we pray uh, that you'll bless these moments uh, in your word. God, thank you for the word that's being taught on the other side of the building to all of our children. And God, we pray you'll bless those teachers as well. Lord, bless uh, your word as it goes out and continue to accomplish all that you intend. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, it is, I believe, if my count's right, 13 days till Christmas. Does that sound about right? So let me ask you, are you ready? Are you, are you ready for Christmas? Probably not. Uh, if you are like me, uh, you're just now beginning to think about Christmas. Uh, and so we got a ways to go. If you're like my wife, you've been ready since October 1st. And, uh, and so probably most of us are somewhere uh, in between those two. I, I found a checklist. This will either be an encouragement to you or a burden to you. Uh, but I found a checklist. This, it's too late for this already uh, this year, but you can just kind of mark this. And for next year, this is how you get ready for Christmas. It starts in October. So in October, uh, organize all your Christmas decorations. Organize all your family plans, where you're going to go, when you're going to go, who, wherever. Make all the list of people you're buying for and set a budget all before Halloween. All right, that's, that's month number one. In November, declutter all the house, you know, clean it up, get it all, all decluttered. Uh, bake anything you can that can be frozen. Uh, and make your list of everything that's going to be on sale around Black Friday and do the majority of your shopping by the end of the weekend after Thanksgiving and Cyber Monday. All right, deal? You got it? All right, you got it. Uh, starting in December, all your gifts have been bought, so you can spend time decorating, preparing for company, wrapping all those presents, organizing the kitchen, make an inventory of all the special meals, and then the week before Christmas, do a deep clean of the house, get everything finalized, fresh, cook, you're ready, and that way you can go into Christmas Eve and Christmas Day without any stress. How hard could it be? How hard could it be? 
That seems, like, uh, that seems like a pretty easy enough plan, right? It's not. It's definitely not that easy, and that uh, never really happens that way. Uh, I, I found that there's a, the, one of my favorite, you know, the, there's Black Friday, you know, Small Business, Cyber Monday, Giving Tuesday. My favorite is, I think it would be next Saturday, it'll be the Saturday before Christmas, uh, and they call that Panic Saturday. <laughs> Panic Saturday. That's, that's about kind of where I'm at. Um, and when we talk about that, are you, get, are you ready for Christmas? Those are the kind of things we, we think about, right? Here's, here's all the list of things I got to do, the people I got to buy for, the, the stuff I got to do to get ready for the holidays. And many of those, of course, are, are great things. I'm not knocking any of those. We love getting together with family. Doing thoughtful gifts takes time and effort and energy and doing it in a way that doesn't break, break the bank and, and all that takes effort. And those are good things to invest in. But today I want to talk a little bit different, a different way of preparing and getting ready for Christmas. When we think about getting ready for Christmas, surely there's more to it than just the gifts and the decorations and all the stuff we've got to do. Uh, this month we're looking at an important theme that shows up throughout these Christmas passages uh, in the Gospels, the theme of joy. And we noticed that last week, some of the times that joy shows up in these passages, it's not just everyday run-of-the-mill joy, it's great joy. In fact, last week when we talked about the wise men, as they saw the star coming over the place where they knew they were about to meet this newborn king, Jesus, it says they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And I just think that's the most <laughs> awesome way. Like, they are so happy. They're so excited uh, for what they're able to experience. And deep down, we, we, we all know that. That's what we're looking for at Christmas. We're not just looking for all the stuff. We're looking for deep abiding joy. We, we all know, Dr. Seuss said it, but we all know he was right when he wrote, Christmas came without ribbons, it came without tags, it came without pack packages and boxes or bags. What if Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store? What if Christmas perhaps means a little bit more, right? That's what he says in, in The Grinch. We, we know that to be true. We know it to be true that there's something more going on. Deep down, we know it's not about the stuff, it's about celebrating Christ. We know it's about joy in Christ, joy in Jesus this season. So if we know that to be true, that it's not about the packages and boxes and bags, is that where most of our effort is going? Is, is most of our effort going into the packages and boxes and bags, even when we know that Christmas is about more than that? What, where is our effort? Where is our energy? If we're going to get ready for Christmas, how do we get ready for a Christmas that's full of joy and not just the stuff? The story of Jesus' birth is told in, in two of the four Gospels, Matthew and Luke. And what's great about the way that Luke tells the story is that he intertwines the story of Jesus' birth with the birth of another child, his cousin, John, who becomes John the Baptist. And as he tells those stories uh, intertwined together, we understand a lot more about who Jesus is and why it was so important uh, that he was born like he is and, and all that that entails. As Lincoln just read the angel's foretelling of, of John's birth, he told us that the, the ministry that John would have would be to prepare people for Jesus. That's what John was to do. He was to be the one that went before Jesus to get people ready. So if we want to know how to get ready for Jesus at Christmas or at any other time, John the Baptist is a good one to ask. That was his job. That was his ministry is to prepare people for Jesus. So if we want to get ready for Christmas, let's start by looking at John the Baptist. And similar to what we found last week with the wise men, this is why I love doing this, these themes that show up so many times, is that when we look to John the Baptist's story, it's an invitation to joy. It's an invitation 
to joy. This is the first way I, I see it in this passage from John's, uh, the, the foretelling of John's story. Rejoice that God answers prayers and He keeps promises. Rejoice that God answers prayers and He keeps promises. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth ha- have been a- unable to have children. And undoubtedly, they've been praying for children for quite some time. Zechariah was a priest who served in the temple. And uh, one day he was making an offering and an angel appeared to him with this miraculous news. Verse 13 and 14, the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. There it is again. This word, not just a little bit, you'll have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at Christmas. That's what we're looking for, that kind of joy. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they, they've been praying for this child for some time now and God answered their prayers. So if we're asking what this says about joy, about what these Christmases, Christmas passages tell us about joy, the first and most obvious is that they prayed for a child and God answered that prayer. Praise God. He is the author of life, and He has given them a child just as they had prayed for. The angel told them they would have joy, and not just any joy, joy and gladness. And this is what it says in verse 16 and 17. And He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and He will go before them in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Now, if you're just kind of dropping in on the Bible at this point, you may say, wait, what? Elijah, what's he have to do anything? I, know, I knew there was Zachariah and Elizabeth, that was the mom and dad, and there was an angel, and they're going to have a kid named John. Where, who's Elijah? What does that have to do with anything? Well, that's why you got to kind of zoom out and say, all right, what's going on here? What, Zachariah, he caught this. He knew what was going on because he was a priest. He knew the Old Testament. And so when he said this, Zachariah understood. But we may have to, to back up and, and ask what's going on. The very last verse of the book of Malachi is a prophecy about the coming Messiah, the coming day, the day of the Lord. And it tells us that on the great and awesome day of the Lord, God will send Elijah to turn his people to him, to the Lord. And so Elijah was come to come and prepare the way for the coming Messiah. So what the angel is telling Zechariah is that your son is not just going to have a, a regular type ministry. He is going to be the fulfillment of prophecy. He is going to be the answer to so many people's prayers for centuries now that the, the Elijah, one, a prophet, who's, he's going to come, he's preparing the way, and then the Messiah is going to come. What the angel just told Zechariah by telling him that, he would, that his son would be in the spirit and power of Elijah is that the Messiah is on the way. The Messiah is on the way. And so that is why there's even more joy than just regular joy. All of us rejoice at the birth of a child. All of us celebrate the good gift of life that God gives to us. But this wasn't just any child. Every child is awesome. This was the fulfillment of God's promises, the answer to God's promises, and the answer to so many prayers people had prayed. And that is where they found so much joy that first Christmas. I wonder if you're willing to accept that same kind of invitation to joy this Christmas. Have you taken time to look back at the way that God has answered prayers and the ways that God has kept His promises to us. Have you looked back over your own life, maybe even just the last few months, the last year or so, to look back and say, God has answered prayers that I have prayed. It's easy, I don't know about you, for you, but for me, it's easy to pray a prayer, God answer it, and I say, okay, thanks, and I just keep moving on. And not stop and actually thank God and rejoice and celebrate and find joy 
in the fact that God of the God of the universe is listening to my prayers and he is hearing us and he is moving. Of course, he doesn't answer every prayer like we want to, and we'll see that in a second in this story, but we can, we can probably, all of us, think back over the last few months or a year and say, wow, look at the prayers God has answered. I know for me and my family, as we went into this fall, we were starting a lot of new things. My wife was starting a new job, starting off uh, at the, the new high school. It's the first time she's been back full-time since our first child was born, which meant Lydia, for the first time, was going to be in child care, and that was, you know, we had to figure all that out. We prayed through all those kind of things. Uh, all the kids had just all kinds of stuff going on this fall. We've been super excited to have an extra member in our house these last few months. We've been praying over a lot of things. And if I can stop and look back, I can say, wow, this is awesome. All the gifts, all the ways God has shown us grace. And I think about that for us as a church and the ways that we can rejoice over prayers that He has answered. I think about when we prayed over Hank Lyles right here and the way that God answered those prayers. I think about all the prayers we've been praying for Tommy Jennings and all the ways that God has shown up in his life as he continues to battle. But so many answered prayers there. So many other people we prayed for over the last year with health concerns that God has moved and helped us in so many ways beyond what we thought. At the beginning of the year, we had very little children's ministry because we were still coming out of the pandemic. And man, God has answered our prayers for the ministry to our children in major ways. God answered prayers for how we help minister to our young adults as Travis's class has begun. God has answered a prayer. We have a new playground this year. God has answered our prayers and the number of people that are able to come and worship in person in our church. God's answered prayers about our finances in so many ways God has blessed our church. And it'd be, we'd be remiss. We, we would be sinning if we don't turn and give praise to God and find joy and delight that God has answered our prayers. By praying for those things, we know that we don't take credit for any of them. We don't take credit for anything. It's all a gift. We prayed for it. God answered. And so we thank Him for it. Can you do that in your own life? Can you recognize gifts that God's given you and answers to prayers that God has answered and rejoice over those things? Maybe uh, you say, as I think we all can, we find uh, some recent prayers that have been answered. But maybe you also can say, I, I do have some prayers that have not been answered. I can rejoice, and I do thank God, but I, I do have some prayers that haven't yet been answered. And so that's also why it's worth noticing a little bit more in Luke chapter 1, that God's timing in answering these prayers was a little bit different than everybody expected. Perhaps you heard as we read through it in verse 7 that uh, it said, Zachariah and Elizabeth had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, I don't, I don't know if there's scholars who figure something out, but from the passage, we don't know how advanced in years. You know, we, we know from the Old Testament some pretty crazy times God showed up. But the, the idea here is they're just past the childbearing years. So maybe, maybe they're just a couple decades out from when they first prayed for God to answer that prayer. So God did answer their prayer, but for decades they've been praying that prayer without seeing an answer to it. I wonder if you have some prayers like that. You've been praying for God to show up, and, and you thought a year ago, a month ago, a year ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you wanted God to answer this prayer, and it still has yet not been answered. Or maybe it goes back even further than that. God is keeping a promise when He sent His Son, Jesus. Do you know the very first time in the Bible that promise is made? It's in Genesis 3.15, the Garden of Eden which is impossibly hard to date, but let's come forward. God reiterates that promise to Abraham. We can date that one around 2,000 years before Christ. 
that his, that his descendants, through his descendants, God would save all the nations. He reiterates that promise to Moses and so many other people. Moses was 1,500 years before Christ. Even the prophecy to Malachi about Elijah who would come was 500 years before Christ. You talk about God's timing and not our timing? They've been waiting for thousands of years. If I have to wait like three minutes for oatmeal, I'm upset about it. And God's people waited forever, it seemed, for Him to answer His prayer. And here's why that's really important for us. Advent, the, the Christmas season, we uh, as Christians through the church history, we, we've called this a season of Advent. And maybe if you grew up in a more traditional church, you know that, that, that terminology. And Advent is just a word that means coming. And so at Christmas, we celebrate the coming of Jesus. But Christmas is also a time we celebrate another promise that He's made, that Christ is coming back. So Advent is a season, this four weeks that we lead up to, to Christmas, is a season we celebrate Christ came and He has promised to return. And here's why that's so important. All those prayers you've prayed that haven't yet been answered, all the things you're longing for, the desires we have that we don't, we don't know how they're going to work out on this earth, we still don't know how they're going to work out in the future, but the promise that we have is that Christ is coming back and He's going to make all things right. We don't know how it's going to fit together. We don't know how it's all going to work. And you, you've prayed for people that have passed away and you've prayed for people who are lost. And, and we've got all kinds of questions. We, we don't know how it's going to work out. But we trust Christ is coming back. And just as God has kept all His promises up to this point, He will keep this promise. And so at Advent, we can rejoice. We can have joy even before the promise is kept, even before the promise has been fulfilled, because we know the faithfulness of our God, and we know that He will keep the promises that He has made. John 6, uh, 14, 3, Jesus told His disciples, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to Myself, that where I am you may be also. Listen, there's, there's nothing else in the world we need if we know Christ is coming back and we're going to be with God. We're going to be with Jesus forever. All the other things just pale in comparison to that. Just one, for example, is that death won't hurt. I mean, just picture life where there is no sting. We get that in 1 Corinthians 15, talking about that day when Christ comes back, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come the pass, the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O death, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Man, you take away the sting of death. We're in the presence of God. What else matters? We will be with God forever. That's a promise we can bank on. If He answers that prayer and keeps that promise, we can trust Him with everything else. That's the beginning of the rejoicing in Luke 1. As they have seen God work, He has answered prayers. In His timing, it wasn't Zachariah's timing, it wasn't Elizabeth's timing. They prayed for this decades ago. They thought it had been better to have kids in their 20s. God had other plans. God's people have been waiting for the Messiah. Where were you in Babylon? Where were you when we were here, there, and the other? God had a plan in His timing to bring the Messiah right when He did. And praise God for Him having a plan that's far better than ours. We can see the joy of Zechariah and Elizabeth, but it doesn't stop with them in Luke chapter 1. Verse 14 says, Many will rejoice. Many will rejoice. So if you're willing to go with me a little deeper, there's, there's even more joy here for us to find. It's not easy joy, but it is an everlasting joy. As we prepare for, for Christmas, we prepare for Advent, we prepare for Christ's return one day, 
we'd be wise to listen to the ministry of John the Baptist because that's what he did. He got people ready for receiving Christ, for experiencing Christ. So how did John the Baptist get people ready? What, what did the angel tell Zechariah his ministry would be about? John the Baptist's ministry was a ministry of calling people to repentance. Calling people to repentance. And what we find here, even in this passage, is that repentance is what prepares us for joy. Repentance prepares us for joy. When we read the first half of the verse 14, that, that makes sense to us. It says, you will have joy and gladness. Well, that makes sense. I mean, they're having a baby. Of course they're going to be happy. But you go a little further, and what about the second half? It continues, and many will rejoice at his birth. Now, why, why are other people going to celebrate? And probably not, he's not talking about just his immediate family. Many people will rejoice. Well, verse 16 says about this child, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Verse 14, many will rejoice. Verse 16, many will turn to the Lord. Same group of people. Where is joy found? Joy is found in turning to the Lord. When we turn to the Lord and away from the things of the world, that's where we find joy. Verse 17, he says, To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Turning to the Lord is how we prepare for His coming. Turning to the Lord is how John the Baptist prepared people. It's how the people prepared before Jesus was born. And it's how we prepare before Christ comes back. Repentance is what leads to joy. Turning shows up a lot in the New Testament. This is a great study. You just want to search for that word through the New Testament. So awesome. But here's, a, here's just a few of them. 1 Thessalonians 1.9 talks about how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Or Acts 3.19, Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Or Acts 26.20 20, declared that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. When John the Baptist grew up and he starts his ministry, read it multiple places in the Bible. Matthew chapter 3, he says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was saying, Jesus is coming soon, so be ready. And the way to get ready is to turn to the Lord, which is to say, repent. Repent. Repentance is turning away from sin. It's turning away from the bad habits and lifestyle choices that we are making that are contrary to the Lord's will. It's turning away from uh, laziness and stuff of this world, uh, of sin that just should not be in our life. Turning away from it. That's the picture of repentance. Sin is rejecting or ignoring God, not being or doing what He requires in His law. And so when we sin, we, we're going against God. Repenting is turning to God. And the only reason that we, we ever sin is because we think the things we are doing is better than following God. You, you may not think that when you, when you think of your own sins, but you, if you genuinely thought God's way was better, you wouldn't sin. But we have in our minds that our decisions, our path, the, the things we want to do are better. So that's why we choose them. For instance, when we tell lies, we're trying to cover up things so that we, we make things smoother, right? We'll just, ah, this, it'll be harder if I have to tell the truth, so I'll tell a lie to kind of cover things up. But it never goes quite like that, does it? You end up telling more lies and working really hard to cover it up, and in the end it gets found out anyway, and everybody gets hurt feelings. You're like, man, if I had just told the truth from the beginning, this would be a lot easier. It hurt when we first started, but it was harder to go through with a lie. When we sin, we're going against God's will and we think we're doing it for our own fun. We think we're like our own joy that things are going to be better because we're choosing our way. 
But in the end, we learn that sin always saps our joy. It doesn't give us joy. It doesn't give us happiness. Sin saps us of our joy. We would think that living life how we want to makes us happy, but it doesn't. And many times that's, that's, that shows up in other ways. Think about your own physical body. You think about, hey, if I rest, I have more energy, right? So if I just spend my whole week, my whole month with my feet propped up, never exerting any energy, then I'll have more energy, right? But we all know it doesn't actually work that way. If you have a regular active lifestyle where you're, you're exercising regularly and eating healthy and you're moving, you're exerting more energy, you actually have more energy. That when we rest too much, it actually drains us of our energy. And in Christ, something similar happens with our own spiritual bodies. When we seek our own way, we don't actually have joy. But when we seek Christ, we find joy. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.9 I read says, You turned to God from idols, turning away from the things that we desire and turning instead to God. What are, you, what are you looking for to satisfy you? What are you looking for to truly make you happy? If it's anything less than Christ, it will not last. It will not last. It's Christmas time, so maybe a time you're thinking more uh, about Jesus and more about His birth. But as you prepare for Christ, what would it look like for you to turn away from sin and turn to Christ, turn to worshiping Him? Maybe that looks like God becoming the, the center of your life for the first time. It's really easy in, in our culture to treat Jesus like a side project in our life, isn't it? Something that we just spend a little bit of time on here and there, but our life is really centered around something else. Work, family, success, material things. We put something else at the center, and our side project is going to church. Our side project is Jesus. I, I know what side projects are. I, I, my, I'm not a professional uh, woodworker or builder in any way, but in the last few years, I got to tinkering on stuff, and I like tinkering on stuff. So I'm working on, don't tell my kids, they can't hear me anyway, but I'm working on this little, uh, little climbing thing out of wood that I'm, I'm building for, for Lydia and I'm building a second one for my niece in Georgia, okay? My Amber and my sister-in-law came up with this project months ago, so I think I started on this like in October and it's still not done. You know why? It's because the only time I work on it, I take like 15, 30 minutes here and there when the kids are in bed and Amber's doing something else and I go, oh yeah, I'll go just tinker on that for a few minutes. It's a side project. And you know what? For a Christmas present that's still got weeks to 13 days, apparently. <clears throat> Gotta keep going. Uh, to, get, to be ready, like, that's okay for a side project. God's not a side project. If we relegate God to 15 or 30 minutes a day, every few days when we get around to it, we're not going to be living in joy. God, God is the God of the universe. He deserves for our lives to be centered around Him. And what we deeply know in our hearts to be true, is that if we keep God to the side, we're, we're never happy anyway. For us to turn to God means that He becomes the center of our lives. What does it look like for you this Christmas to spend time daily with Him, weekly in worship, where, where God is the center of your life? God isn't just a side project. He is the center. What does it look like for you to run all your life projects, all your life decisions, all your family choices, run it through does this honor God? Is my life centered around Him? Am I making choices because I want to honor God to seek His kingdom in this world? Or am I seeking something else and just adding God onto it at the end? When we put God at the center, that's what truly leads to joy. Many will turn to the Lord and many will rejoice. Repentance prepares us 
for joy. It may strike you as a little odd to put those words together, repentance and joy, because they don't, probably don't naturally go together. Repentance is this idea of uh, turning, it's, it's mournful, it's sorrowful. We, are, we, are, we see something that's wrong and we mourn it, we grieve it, and we turn away from it. That doesn't sound happy. Joy and repentance don't seem like they should go together. But that's, that's a very, it's not a good understanding of what joy is. Joy is not just feeling happy-go-lucky. Joy is deep satisfaction in God, no matter the external circumstances. So if there's sin in our life, the only way to find joy is to get rid of that so that we can be satisfied in Christ. Imagine going to the doctor tomorrow because you've got just kind of some lingering stomach pain that just you can't really explain. And they kind of do some tests and, you know, scans or whatever else. And they come back. The doctor says, hey, it's your appendix. Like your appendix, you've got appendicitis, and that's why you have a stomach problem. But the next thing the doctor says surprises you. He says, hey, you know what? Normally, you know, we just take this out because it's not too big of a deal. But, but that would make your next couple days kind of uncomfortable. And so it's probably not going to rupture. So let's just leave it there. Because if we leave it there, the next two or three days, you'll probably just have that like mild stomach pain, and you'll probably be okay. Whereas if we go and operate it on today, that means today you've got to deal with anesthesia and, you know, sitting in a hospital for a couple days, and nobody likes to be in the hospital for a couple days. So, so you, just, you just keep going, and you'll probably be fine. You would look at that doctor like, what? No, right? You would be willing to take today's discomfort for your lasting health, right? No question about it. Everybody would say, Take my appendix out. I don't need it anyway. I'm fine. I'll go through the discomfort of today's anesthesia, today's cutting of my skin, today's pain, because I know that it's for the good of my health. And yet when it comes to sin in our lives, we'd rather just keep muddling about with a little bit of low-grade pain, not knowing and not understanding, not realizing that eternity is in the balance. If we keep sin in our lives, we don't love Jesus If we're just holding it on, sin is at the center, Jesus is not. And if Jesus is not at the center of our lives, we're not saved. We don't know Him if we're not saying, I want Jesus no matter what. I want Jesus no matter what. If we want to cling to sin more than we cling to Jesus, our our health is on the line. And not just our physical health, our eternity. Christ has given us an opportunity. He sent John the Baptist to prepare people, to get ready. Repentance is the only way for us to find joy. Repentance prepares us for joy. How many of us would rather hold on to sin than cling to Christ? Repentance may not be comfortable, but it prepares you for joy. Turn away from sin. Turn away from the lesser pleasures of this world and turn instead to Christ. John the Baptist and others in the New Testament, when they use the phrase, turn to the Lord, yes, they are talking about about our, our daily need of repentance, which is what a Christian, somebody who's been a Christian for a long time, doesn't matter how long, we daily have a need for repentance, to say, I, I'm, I know I have sinned against you, God, and we're turning away from those th- things. But turning to the Lord, repenting is also the very first step in becoming a Christian. Acts 3.19 says, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. That is, we have sin against us, and if we don't repent, then we're still, they're still counted against us. We're not saved. We don't yet know Him. Acts eleven twenty one, And the hand of God, the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So it means they were not following Jesus. They turned, and now they are following Him. Our, our preparation for Christmas, the, the greatest thing, the most important thing, 
is that we do know Him, that we are Christians, that we have a relationship with the Lord. If you don't yet know Jesus, there is no more important way to prepare for, prepare for Christmas than to know Jesus as your Savior. I, I want to make sure that everybody has the, the chance to hear the gospel, to hear the good news that we've been talking about already. That we, as, as, uh, as we celebrate Christmas, what we're celebrating is that the good news has happened, it has occurred, and we can believe. We are, are broken people. We all feel it. We all feel this, this, this sense of, uh, of there's something wrong with us and there's something wrong in the world. And when we come to the Bible, we realize we weren't created that way, that God created us and created this world as good. Genesis 1.31 says He looks at everything and it was very good. He had made a world that was beautiful. And yet sin came in, Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us, everybody who has walked on the earth except for Christ has sinned against God. That's where the brokenness comes. And yet God has planned from the beginning a way for that sin and that brokenness to be taken care of. He sent His Son, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas, that He came and He lived the perfect life. And we celebrate at Easter that He died for our sins and then resurrected on the third day to give us new life. And it's, the Bible tells us that everybody who believes in Jesus can have eternal life with Him. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, is the gift of God. When we believe in Jesus, when we put our faith in Him, when we trust in Him, He saves us. Not because of our works, but because He died for us so that we could have a relationship with Him. You think, how in the world can I do that? How can I have a relationship with Him? Well, God is the one that does the work. God is the one that brings it about. We read just in this passage about how this happens for John the Baptist. He's going to turn people to God. How does John the Baptist turn people to God? Well, it's because he had the Holy Spirit. Luke 1.15 says, He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. So as you prepare for, for Christmas this season, the, way, the only way our lives are going to be transformed is not by us just trying harder, us just setting our alarm clock and just being oh, better people tomorrow. Nope. It's going to come by relying on the Holy Spirit. Rely on the Holy Spirit for repentance. The Holy Spirit is the one, is the one, is God Himself, and is the one who guides us, teaches us, corrects us, and first and foremost, saves us. The Bible says that He gives us a new heart. We had a heart of stone, and when Christ comes, He gives us a heart of flesh. And the Spirit is the one that changes our lives. If you're, if you're a Christian, the, the lie the devil tells us is you can never change. You can never change. You say, yeah, yeah, you accepted Jesus back then, but, but now you're just always going to be this way. You're always going to have this problem. You're always going to be this. No, no, you have the Spirit of God inside of you, the same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead. And so as you get ready for Christmas, don't let the devil tell you that lie. Because no, you can't change yourself, but the Holy Spirit can. And He can bring, you, bring change in your life. John the Baptist had no power in himself to turn people to the Lord, but he had the Holy Spirit and that's what changed people's lives. And if you're a Christian, that Spirit is inside of you. And if you're not a Christian, the Spirit is with us. As we gather, the Spirit is everywhere around us. And if He is pulling at your heart, then He can work miracles. He can transform lives. The Holy Spirit raised Christ from the dead, and He gives new life to dead people. And He can transform your life. As you prepare for Christmas, as you think about what does it mean for me to get ready 
Where can I find joy? Where can I find happiness? It only comes from Christ. It only comes from Christ. And He may be calling you to believe in Him for the very first time or in a brand new way this Christmas. The same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead is with us, is among us, and He is at work. And when we rely on Him, He can transform our lives. If you are a Christian and you're walking through life and you're not sure if the center of your life is Jesus, you think maybe the center of your life is something else, and you say, I, I, want, I want to be sure. Maybe today is a day where you come and you lay that before God and say, God, I, I'm holding on to something. I'm clinging to something that's a sin, and I want to lay it before you. I want to turn away from my sin, and I want to follow you. But if you're not a Christian, if you've never confessed faith in the Lord, if you've never professed Jesus as Savior, then this Christmas, the very best way to prepare for Him is to turn from our old way of life and believe in Jesus for salvation. Maybe even during our closing song, you want to come to the altar and pray. Maybe you want to bring a friend. Maybe somebody around you can help you with that, and you've got some questions. Maybe you don't have it all figured out, but you, you want to come. and I, I don't know what it looks like, God, but I want to lay my life before you and beg for you to move. Maybe you want to do that even here today. I'll pray with you if you'd like to pray with me. There's a number of people around that can pray with you. But I pray that you would get ready for Christmas. Christ has come, and Christ has promised He will return. And we know the best way to prepare for Christ's first coming and His second coming is to turn away from our sins and turn to the Lord. And the Bible promises us that's where we find deep, everlasting, eternal joy is in the presence of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for the ministry that you sent John the Baptist to do so that we would begin to see what it looks like to prepare for your coming. God, thank you for sending your son some 2,000 years ago to show us a perfect life, to die for our sins, to resurrect, to defeat death forever. And God, thank you for the promise that he's going to come back and he's going to restore all things and make all things right again. Father, we admit that for many of us who know that story, we don't, we don't live like it's the most important thing in the world. We live for ourselves and we live for our own glory. And so, God, we want to confess that to you, turn from our sin, and believe in you afresh today. God, if you've put sins on, on our hearts, that we're, you've made us aware of sin in our lives, God, we pray that we would turn from that today. Maybe we would lay it at the altar here today, that we would turn to you instead of our sin. Father, for those who don't yet know you, God, I pray that your word would be at work in people's lives so that they would say that you are better than everything else and that they would believe in you today. I ask all this in Jesus' name.